Welcome to All Axes, brought to you by Mazak, a podcast where we interview the people helping to shape the future of manufacturing to give you a better understanding of where we're heading and why. We believe that with an understanding of technology, workforce, and market trends, you can always grow your business. My name is Teelan Henderson, and I'll be your host. Joining us today to discuss what we can learn from the COVID-19 pandemic is Harry Mosier, founder of the Reshoring Initiative. Harry's website, the Reshoring Initiative, can be found at reshorenow.org. There you can find tools such as the Total Cost of Ownership Estimator, which can be used to help gain a real understanding of what relying on overseas manufacturing is costing you. Well, Harry, hey, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. What is it that you love about manufacturing? (laughs) A couple of things. First, um, I'm sort of an economist, and manufacturing is the core, the basis for the economy and for national defense. Without manufacturing... We're not a country. We're certainly not the leading country in the world. Right. And then second, I've seen manufacturing provide excellent career opportunities for those who are willing to be trained, for example, via an apprenticeship. And I've done calculations that show that the um, someone going into, a say, a tool-making apprenticeship has a will have a million dollars more net worth at the age of 49 than someone who gets an English degree. Oh, wow pretty remarkable. Well, let's let's dig into what we're here to talk about today. I think it can be generally agreed that the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed an over-reliance on offshore production for medical products. Uh, And frankly, I don't know if there's anything we can do about it now. But once we get past this, what lessons can we learn from this experience? I'd say that, that the imbalance goes beyond the medical products, that there's many product categories where we're overly dependent on offshore supply especially China, and and that that needs to be corrected. So, for example, within medical, about 97% of antibiotics are imported. Mm -hmm. And about uh, in this medical face mask that we hear about 10 times a day on the media, the only factory I found in the U.S. is 3M, and they make one and a half million masks a day. Oh, wow. China makes 115 million per day. Okay. China supplies half the world demand. I suspect that the U.S. has been coasting along, depending on China for two-thirds, three-quarters of its needs. And then all of a sudden, we need 10 times as many. And so it's impossible to ramp up easily from where we are supplying a fraction of what we normally use to what we need today. The unsustainable condition. So so we're making one million masks, whereas China's uh, One and a half. Wow, yeah. and, and and I mean that that barely yeah. covers uh, anything compared to our needs at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't think it covered anything compared to our needs a year ago. Yeah, I think we were importing three quarters of what we used, and now we've got to go to five times what we're using. Right. <laughs> so you, you have to go up by a factor of fifteen or twenty or something, and and that, and that's tough. So from a, from a sort of a broader perspective, I I hope that people I think people now understand that our, our trade deficit is, is not a good thing for the country. The, uh, it, when we balance that, when we get imports to equal exports, we will bring back 5 million manufacturing jobs. The total U.S. manufacturing output will go up by 40%. And now we'll be making many more of many of the things that we need for everyday life. Mm-hmm. And we'll have the capacity to surge when a crisis hits like this. So I don't think I don't think many American-owned companies uh, 
ever wanted to rely on foreign manufacturing. I, I believe most people want to make things as local as possible. Uh, but, but the perception of cost savings is too much to ignore. Uh, is that accurate? Do you think that's a, a fair statement on why we're so reliant on China? I, I'd say yes, but pr- probably two things happened. Over the last 20, 30 years, the prevailing business school philosophy has been to go to core competence. And that was uh, perhaps the product design, uh, uh-huh. marketing, finance, you know, something like that. And uh, that manufacturing stuff will let somebody else do it. Like, like Apple lets, uh, uh, lets most of its product be made by somebody else. And the uh, that's so, so companies first, they say, I'm, I'm not going to manufacture. So I'm going to have somebody else do it for us. Oh, since it won't be in our factories, and it's not our people that are, you know, that were involved. We might as well go to the cheapest place we can get it done, and that typically turned out to be China because they were incredibly oh, so, cheap. So you're saying that uh, American-owned companies uh, have focused on uh, being innovative and, and really owning intellectual properties more than actually making things, and, and that's why they've gone away. No, from no question about it. You can see that with, with m- most of the leading technology companies. Right. Uh, they uh, they design it. They, you know, a label might say. Uh, designed in the United States, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and, and but but the product is made by millions of people offshore, and and uh, and so the combination of not doing manufacturing, like when GM used to make almost every product, right. and Ford used to mm-hmm. make steel, you know, and then every, tires. You know? Then if you if you shifted the production to offshore to somebody else, you were shutting down your own factories. You'd have strikes. You'd have problems. You whereas once the companies had already stopped making it, then there wasn't as much uh, financial impact, as much emotional impact to shifting the outsourcing to another country instead of just somewhere five miles away in Ohio or Michigan. So, the, But the savings, I, I do think there's a, an appeal to that. Do companies actually save as much money as they think they do uh, when it comes to making uh, products overseas? Definitely not. Uh, 60%, so 6-0% of companies look only at the price, the X-Works price, what, what it costs me when it gets put in the truck at the factory, wherever. And, and by doing that, they miss 20% approximately of the cost that they should be oh, considering. Wow. So we, we encourage them to look at the total cost or total cost of ownership. So that would also include the duty and the freight and the carrying cost of inventory, the travel cost, the IP risk, you know, 29 different costs like that. And the power of using that, you can see from the data I'm going to give you, it went from hundreds of people that have done that calculation using our TCO estimator free Mm -hmm. online. Uh, In 8% of the cases, it made sense to produce in the U.S. using price. Using total cost of ownership, in 32% of the cases, it made sense to produce in the U.S. And in the case where there was a 15% Trump tariff, in 46% of the cases, it made sense to produce in the U.S. So so by going to the right metric, it makes a huge difference of what should actually be made here and what should and, be made And when here. you say that it made sense to be made in the U.S., you're, you're simply talking dollars and cents, just straight profitability. That, that we, we, we recognize or acknowledge that in Almost all cases, the manufacturing costs will be higher here. If you have the same equipment 
the same skill level, the same, you know, electricity cost, steel cost, what have you. If your wage rates are five times as high, your costs are going to be higher, you know, if everything else is equal. Huh? So we recognize that the U.S. manufacturing cost relative to China is anywhere from zero to 50% higher than, than the manufacturing cost in China. But when you when you quantify all these other costs, the duty, the freight, all those other things, uh, then and without including coronavirus, you know, then a substantial portion, like 30, 40 percent, will be more more profitably produced here. So even in ideal situations, and currently we are in what I would call less than ideal situations, uh, 40, over 40 percent of the time, it makes economic sense to make things in the States. Uh, and that's before we even factor in things like the risk or, or the potential. Well, that the, the risk the risk would be in there because risk is definitely included okay. in total cost. So it's it's costs and it's risk. It's it's, it's everything I could throw into the hopper, okay. so to speak. And uh, and but not the coronavirus specifically. Okay, but but so, so somewhere 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 twenty to forty percent, depending on the product, depending on the other country, depending on. The volume, the frequency of design, all kinds of things like that. Right. De- de- depending on your ability to automate and and cut the labor here in the United States. Yeah. So the ability to automate that that that's my other uh, question. If we brought these parts back from overseas, uh, we are experiencing a skills gap in this country. Uh, are there? How would we go about bridging that? It's a it's a difficult problem. You know, a year or two ago, when everybody was booming, there were help wanted signs everywhere, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, so we definitely have not done a, a real good job on the skilled workforce, but we're doing a better job. Uh, President Trump has uh, committed $200 million to finance or motivate apprenticeships. And I see apprenticeships starting all over the country at companies or at the community colleges tied into com- companies. In addition to the fact that everybody now knows they have to do it, uh, as, as companies automate, as they bring in the best uh, equipment, the the most modern that that uh, multitasking you know, Mesa, machines, for example, like that, right? sells multitasking machines. Now, and and you bring the you know the high school, smart high school computer competent kid in, and you show them that machine. And you talk about five axis programming or seven axis program, whatever it is. All of a sudden, the kid says, "Well, that sounds more exciting than reading Shakespeare <laughs> at uh, at the local university." <laughs> you know, oh, and you're and you're going to pay me while I get trained, and I'm going to make a really good buck in you know four years after I finish my apprenticeship. Uh, and I'm not going to have to pay for college. Well, that that sounds pretty good. So, so, so by the companies having modern technology, and by the companies reshoring. I mean, it's one thing we always advocate for a community. Let's say Toledo or Cleveland. Um, get get all the companies to report their cases of reshoring of bringing manufacturing back from offshore. Report them to us, and then get the local newspaper and TV and radio station every quarter or every month to describe all the reshoring that's happening into the community. So now the kids who were afraid to go into manufacturing because they thought it was all going to go away, now say, huh, it's coming back. Maybe Susie should become a welder and Bill should become a toolmaker. I got it. So you're saying that we need to uh, change perception of manufacturing as well. Uh, Currently, the more uh, offshore production we do, the more we just assume it's going away and future generations shy away from a, a diminishing market. Yeah, so it's a, it's a virtuous cycle that when the companies reshore, they work hard to reshore, they bring it back, they promote the fact that they've reshored, 
they will find more more and better recruits. They get they get busy. They've got the money. They they have the demand. They buy the new equipment. That attracts more kids in. The costs come down, and you have a virtuous cycle that keeps keeps pulling everybody ahead. So, uh, assuming that we're going to start heading in this direction, and, and frankly, I believe in the light of coronavirus, we are going to take a look at uh, supply chains and, and things of that nature. Uh, what can job shops do to make themselves more appealing to OEMs who are looking to do this? Yeah, first they have to do the uh, the basics. They, they they do need to recruit. They right. do need to train. They do need to automate. They do. But they can use our TCO estimator, free online on our website, to convince that customer, that big company, the company that off, that they used to make the parts for, and now the parts are coming in from anywhere offshore, to, to help the, that company see, that importer see, that with the Chinese wages up, with the risks that we found, that it makes sense to, to bring some, probably not all, but some of that work back to that shop. Yeah? That's, that's the first thing. That's the tool for selling. And second, if the company, if the job shop is really good at making something, a widget, some specific thing, they're really good at making those. They've got the right equipment, multitask, what have you, uh, and they can show that labor cost is minimal the way they're tooled up, then we can identify for them the biggest importers of widgets and, and what tonnage each one of them is bringing in, where they're buying it from, some idea what they're paying for it. And then the idea is for the job shop to get trained on using TCO, do a, a, a sample calculation, take it into the importer and say, Bill, you know, we lost the work five years ago, 10 years ago. We've, we've automated. We're really good now. And, and when you look at total cost, you're going to save 10% by bringing the work back. Let, let's get together and work that out. Okay, so if an OEM has come to the conclusion that they are ready to do some reshoring in their supply chain, uh, how would they go about mitigating the risk? Or, or rather, how local should their supplier be? Uh, we'd say, ideally, clustered around the assembly plant. That that reduces risks and it enables just-in-time, which reduces inventory. That allows you to change design more rapidly. So as, as an example... About a week or two ago, I attended a uh, supply chain risk mitigation webinar, and the speaker was an M MIT logistics professor, Yossi Sheffi, and I, I, he was talking my more or less my thing, so I emailed back and forth with him, and he confirmed that having all of your suppliers local, having the shortest possible supply chain, has the lowest risk, unless you can afford multiple sources. If you can afford to have two or three factories all making the same thing for you, then it makes sense to scatter them. You have one local and put the others at some very different locations. But but most people can't afford that. But but truly keep it as local as possible. As small a radius as you can is the best way to reduce yeah. risk. And and here's here's the logic for that. If if you if every component is critical, you need every one of a hundred components to make your assembly and the uh, and it and you have them produce one at each of different major cities, major countries, whatever around the world, and each country has a, a X percent chance of, of crisis, yeah, right. something going wrong. So you've got something like a hundred and X ch chance of, of uh, something going wrong. Whereas if you, if you have it, everything within a mile or two of your factory, then 
there's only one chance, one x chance of things going wrong. Now, if things really go wrong and and the area gets hit with an asteroid, well, your your assembly plant's gone anyway, and <laughs> so it doesn't matter if you've lost your your suppliers because you're not in right. business. You see, so 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 it makes sense to put it all local. Have it all sure. Like when you see Toyota and people like that building assembly plants here, what do they do? They bring in all their suppliers. They build they build a campus. They have all the suppliers right around them. They ship stuff in. They make the car. So a- AMT, which puts on IMTS, the big machine tool show, technology show, they've They've committed to a major focus on helping companies uh, build on what they've learned from this current uh, supply chain crisis. And so they're going to help attendees and exhibitors avoid similar shocks in the future. Uh, Look for AMT announcements on how companies can benefit from doing this. We we had our first uh, planning session yesterday. (laughs) And... Okay, so it doesn't have a name yet, but I'm I'm going to be putting the plan together for them, and uh, and looking forward to a you know a major uh, opportunity at IMTS for comp- for exhibitors for OEMs for job shops to come in, you know, learn and benefit and reduce their risk in the future. Oh, that's great! It, it's something I think that we're all ready for. You know, we're all ready to put this in our rear view mirror, but, but more than that, we're ready to learn some lessons from it, I think. Yeah. Let, me, let me give you one more that, that uh, a bit similar. Uh, uh, Gardner uh, Media puts on a trade show called Amerimold. So it's uh, focused on mold makers, injection mold makers. And last year for the first time, and again this year, uh, they're going to have a sourcing fair. And we, have, uh, we attract companies that want to start buying their molds or their molding in the U.S. And then those companies will have a, uh, an exhibit. And then the mold makers and the molders that are attending the show come up and pitch to them to help those companies bring their work back to the country. I want to thank our guest, Harry Mosier, founder of the Reshoring Initiative, for joining me today. His website is reshorenow.org. On there, you can find tools like the Total Cost of Ownership Estimator, information on the Import Substitution Program, and other resources to understand the effect reliance on overseas manufacturing has on American business. Amerimold 2020 is put on by Gardner Business Media and takes place June 10th, 2020 in Novi, Michigan. IMTS is hosted by AMT in Chicago, Illinois, and runs from September 14th through the 19th. On the next episode, we'll be discussing how multitasking can help job shops improve throughput while bridging the skills gap and gain an advantage over overseas manufacturing. Be sure to subscribe to All Axes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, or you can always visit our website at mazakusa.com for the latest episode.